welcome back to the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, where we explore gentle, positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. I'm Kim Cameron Smith, and this is episode 29. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about childhood anxiety. And this is on my mind because we're a few years into COVID, and a lot of our children seem to be experiencing anxiety, um, and some children who had anxiety issues previously, it seems to have moved to a new level. Before COVID, a few years ago, I I did a two-part series on my blog about anxiety. I covered, you know, what, what, what anxiety is and, you know, how you can deal with it. And so I thought, well, I don't really need to talk about anxiety um, anymore, but I, I decided to cover it again in this podcast um, because I want to talk about why you cannot really avoid all anxiety in your children's lives. That anxiety is not necessarily a sign that something is wrong. Um, I mean, it is a sign that something's wrong, but it's not a sign that you're doing something wrong. Okay, so I want to talk about that, and then I want to talk briefly about what are uh, typical fears at different stages of your child's development so that you can recognize what is just typical and expected, these sort of fears that kids tend to grow out of, and when your child's fear may move to um, you know, a level where you need to seek professional help. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, first, let me just briefly, for maybe a few minutes, Um, hit a few of the points I made in those two blog articles. So I'm not going to go through them in detail. I will link to them in the show notes for this podcast on my website. Go to intentionalcatholicparenting.com or kimcameronsmith.com. And you're going to look in on my podcast or even in the blog. The show notes will be there. Okay, so one of the things I, I, I addressed in those posts is, well, what is anxiety? What is it? Right? So all human beings feel it, experience it at some point. Anxiety is an activated alarm system. It's just an activated alarm system. Just as the immune system protects us from disease, our alarm system protects us. It protects us. It keeps us safe. It, um, it makes us run away when there's danger, right? It makes us um, become more conscientious when we are doing something socially unacceptable. So usually alarm, it will move you to seek safety or it will move you to conscientiousness. So God gave us the alarm system on purpose. It's not some mistake. So perhaps one way to think of it is we want our children to feel anxious about the right things, but we don't want them to have um, anxiety about the wrong things or um, a sort of toxic level of anxiety that helps them mature. Okay, so I talked about that in on those in those blog articles. I talked about a lot of other things about how you can reduce anxiety, about where problem the the roots of problem anxiety, and um, so I'm not going to talk about about that. But what I'd like to talk about in in this show is why you can't really eliminate fear in your children's lives and some common childhood fears that you can anticipate. Um, So if you want to hear about some of those tips about, um, you know, anxiety reduction, I'll refer you to those blog posts. 
Okay, so what about this claim that I'm making that you can't eliminate anxiety in your children's lives? Um, well, you know, it's obvious that you can't. Um, children are emergent. Emergent Emergence is a drive within our children to press out into the world, to explore, to try new things, to test abilities, to, to test strength, to discover talents, all of the all of this sort of emergent energy it it, it um, requires our children to encounter encounter novelty and human beings by nature uh, we, we don't really like novelty now some of us you know grown-ups we um, you know we, we mind it less than others but in general you know I I, I, I um, I know that when I have a, a, a group that's working well, it always sort of, I'm unsettled when a new person joins the group because it changes the dynamic. But of course, I adapt, and then that's part of growing up, okay? That's part of maturing. I'm still growing up. I still have growing up to do. Right, so... Um, so anyway, so this is the thing. Our, our kids have all this emergent energy. They're exploring the world from the, the time they're born until they launch from our nest. Really, for the rest of our lives, our kids are going to be encountering new experiences. And this is wonderful. But sometimes they can feel overwhelmed because novelty um, can make us a little anxious. So it's okay that they feel anxiety at these novel experiences, because um, when they try the new thing, they develop really great character traits like perseverance and courage. And so, they, so the anxiety is just something they have to deal with. And so most children, as they mature, they continue to do um, all of these exciting things they want to try. Um, and they just adapt to their anxiety and they do the things anyway. So we want that. The other reason our kids really can't avoid anxiety is that separation triggers anxiety. And really, um, you know, we, we, we are community-seeking, you know, um, people. Like, human beings are wired for community. It's just the way we're wired. And so, um, maybe I should take a step back. So, think about attachment, what is attachment? So attachment, you know, it is about breastfeeding and, and, and um, you know, co-sleeping and the things that we associate with the term attachment parenting. But attachment is really much more complex and rich than that. So attachment is a drive toward togetherness that keeps humans safe and it helps us mature. Right? So it's so important in healthy development. Secure attachment gives our children a safe harbor and an anchor when life overwhelms him, particularly when he's encountering that novelty. Because what does he do? He, ret he retreats to the safety of, of his attachment relationship. Sometimes only emotionally, he, he just knows we're there and so he feels safe again. But it's from that sense of safety that the child is capable of pushing out into the world and exploring. Right, So because he has confidence that he can return to the safety of those attachment relationships, to the safe harbor of those attachments, he has courage. So attachment is really the womb 
of maturation. It's really the womb. It allows it to happen. All right, and think about the connection to spiritual development. Attachment is is very, very closely connected to mature spirituality because our attachment to our caregivers in childhood, it creates a lens through which we view all of our relationships later in life, okay? So if a child feels he can depend on his attachment figures, if he really believes deeply that his attachment figures have his best interests at heart, that they believe he's important, they believe, you know, um, that his ideas matter, right, then he is more likely to feel that same way about about God. He's going to believe that God has his best interests at heart, that God is, you know, wants a um, uh, an intimate relationship with him, right? So anyway, if attachment is our preeminent drive, the problem is uh, separation create is our greatest fear because of that. So attachment is our greatest drive, our preeminent drive, our preeminent need. So f- separation from those attachments is our greatest fear, right? So in in in, an, in a crisis, we seek our attachments. We we don't go hunting for food. Human beings don't do that. If there's a crisis, if there's a disaster, we look for our people. We, see, we seek to close the separation. So separation um, is probably the most fundamental anxiety, the most fundamental source of stress and alarm in us. You know, and what sort of separation? It is physical separation. So that's why we look for our people in a natural disaster because we don't like to be physically apart from them. But there are other types of separation, All right, so think of the six roots of attachment that I've talked about before. We don't only attach to our attachment figures by physical proximity. We attach through a sense of sameness to them. Hey, I look like grandpa. Hey, I have, you know, grandma's green thumb. I'm like them. And so that makes you feel close to them. There's a sense of belonging, a sense of significance, a sense Um, of being understood psychologically and emotionally, feeling safe emotionally. So these are all attachment roots, and they all are sources of attachment uh, alarm because they can all be sources of attachment alarm because they can be um, sources of separation. So if you feel that you're too different from your attachment figure or if you feel like you don't really belong, you feel like an outsider with them, you feel like they don't really understand you, or if you feel insignificant. Have you, have you ever had a family member or a friend for, forget your name? You know, it, 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 it's sort of funny and you sort of laugh about it, but deep inside it does create a sort of perhaps subconscious, but it's real um, alarm because there's a sense of isolation that you're not known. So it's a threat. It's a kind of separation. All right, but the thing is, if um, we're attached because we live in a fallen world and we have imperfect attachments, God is the greatest attachment figure. He is the ultimate attachment figure. The attachment figures are what's leading us back to our great attachment figure, God. But human beings are fallible. Their understanding is limited. They deal with their own sin. And so there's often ruptures in our attachment relationships. And so there's separation. 
Um, so that's the thing. If we weren't attached, we couldn't grow up. But when you are attached, you deal with separation. You deal with these ruptures. So that is why, you know, your child can't really avoid all anxiety. So one thing, so I, I've talked about this before, all of these ideas. But one thing I wanted to mention that I think is really interesting in this new, you know, era of COVID is that there's a concept called displaced fear. And there are more fancy um, names that scientists use for it. But, it's, you know, it's basically displaced fear. And this is what it is. Sometimes kids feel like they can't really face what they're really afraid of. So the brain actually, um, you know, the brain can't handle that. It needs an outlet. So the, the brain actually makes up something for the kid to be afraid of. So that's where monsters in the closet often come from, right? So the kid really believes there might be a monster in the, the closet. But the thing is, the brain is alarmed about something. Maybe it's something he's not thinking about. Maybe he's afraid that, you know, something, you know, as bad's going to happen to grandma, or he's afraid mommy doesn't love him because mommy was mad at him in the evening. But he he can't really face that. And so the brain is alarmed and it has to find some outlet. So it basically makes stuff up. So the child truly believes that there is a monster in the closet, um, but it's a displaced fear. All right. And so these sort of fears are common in young kids, but I just wanted to mention it. It's really kind of fascinating. And so I want to mention it because many of our children I believe, are experiencing displaced alarm around COVID. So we tell them, oh, there's really nothing to be afraid of. You know, it's not really, um, you know, you're perfectly safe. So we reassure them with our words. But they, they, they sense the alarm in our environment. It's all around us. You know, people are arguing and there's tension. Maybe they even overhear our conversations um, as adults, and they hear us, you know, we might, we, we might really not be alarmed, but we're talking about how scared other people are, and children can't really make sense of it. So anyway, I just thought I would mention that, like maybe some of our kids, maybe they're, the reason their anxieties are going into overdrive is they have a displaced alarm, and they're not really sure, the brain's not really sure what to do about it. And so I think what we can do is just let our kids know, hey, um, you know, I, I really think you're safe, but if you are worried about something, if you're wondering why everybody's wearing masks, you're wondering why such and such rules are in place at school, I want you to know you can talk to me about it. I know how it feels not to, you know, you know be sure, you know, why things are happening. I used to feel like that when I was your age, and um, I want you to feel like you can talk to me or just, you know, ask them questions to see um, if they have any questions. So yeah, so I thought I would mention that. And um, so the second thing I want to talk about is what you should expect in your children um, developmentally, what sort of fears are just typical developmental fears that your children will tend to outgrow and they shouldn't be something that concerns you. And, and your only job really is to support your child through them and, and help the child to feel like, oh, oh, well, you know, anxieties are, are normal and you just sort of can be very matter of fact about about it and say oh yeah I used to feel that way when I was your age too and let them know that you're a safe person to lean on 
Okay, so let me just hit these um, ages and stages in the typical fear. So babies and toddlers, as we all know, they often fear strangers. They often um, become anxious over separation from their attachment figures, physical separation. They fear, they become alarmed at loud or unfamiliar noises, large animals, darkness, and sleeping alone. Preschoolers will often fear all of the same things babies do, but because they have um, developing imaginations, they imagine danger. They imagine illnesses, getting lost, injuring themselves, because they don't have a good, um, a, they don't have a developed ability to uh, weigh potential harm, okay? So they're not really sure how likely it is that they're going to fall out of that tree or something. Early school-age children will tend to continue fearing um, losing their parents, separation from the parents. They may still be afraid of the dark and sleeping alone. They may fear dangerous people hurting them, car or, car or plane accidents, and other threats that they have a hard time assessing, just like younger children. So their fears just become, you know, more developed and um, perhaps fed by uh, news or conversations they hear from adults. Tweens fear natural disasters and wars because they're paying attention to adult conversations. They may fear becoming teenagers. Do any of you have children like this who... They're in middle school, and they begin to seem anxious about high school and about what it means to become a teenager because there's this sort of mystique around it. So they fear some things that younger um, elementary school students fear, but they begin to develop this fear of growing up. They fear um, natural disasters and wars like younger kids as well. Okay, and then let's talk about teens. Teens are fascinating. Teen brain development allows them for the first time to reflect on other people reflecting on them. So the first for the first time, they're imagining other people imagining them. <laughs> and because of this, they have an exaggerated sense that people are paying attention to them because teenagers tend to be, um, you know, sort of egocentric. So they are assuming everyone's thinking about them as much as they're thinking about themselves, right? So they may fear social rejection or judgment, and they be begin to be very uh, conscious of their futures. So they're fearing, uh, may fear bad grades, fear uh, their about their futures, about college and such. And they may also fear growing up. They may fear the next stage of their life because they're in transition to adulthood. Okay, and we all know that all of these things are generalizations because all of our kids have different personalities and temperaments. And um, what scares some kids will not scare others. Um, some kids are very brave about, um, you know, going to a skateboard park, but they still are fearful of sleeping alone at night. And that is okay. They are where they are, and we just support them through it. So these are very typical developmental fears that your child will tend to outgrow. That is the good news because they just they just they they go away with maturity. And remember that all fears are meant to protect us. So when we're alarmed, 
we are moved to do something to fix the alarm. So usually the alarm system is working perfectly well. But when our kids are immature, they're just having a hard time assessing the threat. And all it takes is time for our child to mature. And, you know, and we can, of course, help them through that and coach them, you know, to have perspective or whatever. All right. So here's the thing is that right now, a lot of our kids, their alarm system has gone into overdrive. All right. So just like the, the child's immune system can go haywire, the alarm system can go haywire. So the alarm system and the immune system, they're both gifts, but things can go wrong. And so in our children, things can go wrong when instead of being moved to wisdom and courage, you know, because they face their fears and they grow courage, they grow wisdom and insight. So instead of their anxieties helping them grow up, their anxiety holds them back from maturing because they are moved to hyper-caution, right, and, and, and hyper-conscientiousness. So they do not gain virtue. They're held back. They're, they're, they're stuck in the anxiety. So, you know, if your child is afraid of looking dumb in, with their peers, which is a common uh, teen fear, they can develop phobias around it and sort of compulsive note-taking and academic perfectionism. If they're a little worried about their appearance, which is a common anxiety in the teen years, it can develop into an obsession where they are um, very rigid about their grooming routine. And if they miss one step in the routine, they feel like their world is going to fall apart. So um, if you see, you know, if, if your child, um, because of COVID, has developed obsessive, uh, you, know, you know, sanitation routines, cleaning routines, you know, it, it may be a sign that the, that, the, that the anxiety is becoming debilitating and you may want to seek professional help for support. All right, and I'll put a few resources in the show notes about where you can go for that a, a, an atta attachment safe um, uh, resources that are, um, are are good for Catholics all right so fear in itself is morally neutral it's neither good nor bad and it can actually help our kids um, you know grow up it can keep them safe but it can also cause a great deal of pain if those fears are ruling their lives and holding them back. So if your child's fears seem to be holding them back, seek help. All right, so the big picture is that most childhood fears will fade with time, all right? And the best thing we can do for our kids is to be their best bet, to be the answer to those attachment needs, those six attachment roots. When they feel safe with us, they have an outlet for those natural developmental fears, and they're more likely to come to us when they are stuck in anxiety and need help moving past it. All right, my friends, that is it for today. You can read show notes for this podcast on my website, intentionalcatholicparenting.com or kimcameronsmith.com. Both websites will get you where you need to go. There you will find tons of parenting resources, articles, and other good stuff. You can also sign up for my newsletter, The Anchor in Maze, a wonderful newsletter, um, very like one to three minute reads. I, I, I love it. I'm really enjoying writing it. All right, so please check that out. 
please pray for me as I will for you. God bless you. Have a great day. 